0: pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. All right. So Krista, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. Can you let the audience know a little bit about where you're from and what your relationship to arthritis is.
1: Of course. So thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. I'm excited to have this talk and I appreciate everything you do in the arthritis community to lift those of us with RA up. I grew up in California and I lived in Washington state like you for some time. And now I'm in Florida, but my diagnosis journey started actually when I was a kid, when I was around 12, my father decided, Hey, let's go skiing as a family. He had grown up skiing, but we lived in a coastal town by the beach. And so it was kind of a trek across the state, you know, to drive up to the mountains in California. So it was just like, Hey, he wanted to get back to that. And and it was really fun. So we did it, you know, several years in a row, but even just one day on the slope on a nice sunny day is I would turn really red and be really uncomfortable, and get really cold, just totally disproportionate to how cold it actually was, because you can get pretty warm skiing, Mm -hmm. so it became kind of this family joke that I was just like allergic to the cold, and I'm putting allergic here in air quotes for people on the podcast, Mm -hmm. And, and it just kind of went on, and then I, as I got a little older, I graduated from high school, and every time it got cold, my fingers would swell up, So around 18, I went to see just my GP and of course they were like, well, it, you know, it's probably not anything, but we'll run an RA test just to see. And that came back negative. So then Mm -hmm. it was just, okay, I go through my adult life. I would go to the doctor's office and get my regular blood draws and one teeny tiny little thing might be a little off, but it would get dismissed. You know, I get much older. I have two kids blood work again, little things. And it's like, Oh, you probably had a cold. Well, no, not really, but okay. You know, what else can you say? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it finally wasn't until I had my second son that it was like, I just had this crash. I started getting really bad migraines and things, you know, with now I have two kids and yes, I understand it's hard to have two kids, but I was just so tired and just something really wasn't right. Mm -hmm. so we'll go back to the gp they were like okay well you know this little weird stuff in your blood work's been going on for a while so let's let's take it to the next level so of course they sent me to uh, a hematologist i have a strong family history of cancer and they were like oh we don't like what your blood work's doing Hmm. so they determined really quick i didn't have cancer okay but the person was like i think you need to receive a rheumatologist because they had ran some more tests and it was like this isn't making sense go see the rheumatologist Yes. Even though I'm seeing now the rheumatologist, they run more tests. They're like, well, I don't know, you know, which just not quite right. So they give me a lupus diagnosis mm-hmm. and I had that for several years. And this particular rheumatologist, while being very attentive and a good listener and everything, she always was just trying to kind of put me in these other spots that it seemed like my symptoms weren't going for me. Mm-hmm. I changed doctors, go and see new rheumatologists. They run lots more tests and that person basically determined that i had mixed connective tissue disease. So this entire time that i had both my lupus diagnosis and this, you know, entire time in my life, i've actually had mixed connective tissue disease. So that is a combination connective tissue disease and it tends to pair up for most people so you get the lupus or our rheumatoid arthritis combination which is kind of what i live with. And but it also can include uh, scleroderma and myositis. Mm. I've had tiny little bits of myositis. Personally, I haven't had to live with uh, anything with scleroderma. So that's sort of my long story. So in terms of age, because I know there's people ask when with rheumatoid arthritis, well, how long is it between symptoms and diagnosis? Yeah. So I started showing symptoms basically about 12. I was diagnosed with lupus At 37, and I was diagnosed with mixed connective tissue disease at 41, and that was eight years ago. So, it's been a really long time that I've been dealing with this.
0: Yeah, it's so. I, I think one of the most underserved populations is the undiagnosed, and it's just it's a conundrum because how do you help someone who doesn't know yet what they have? They're just suffering with no exact reason and. It's always easy to connect the dots later on, but, um, especially if it's a like. I mean, lupus is one of the most famously difficult to diagnose, you know, um, diseases, but I'm, I'm sorry that you had to wait so long to get an accurate, you know, set of diagnoses. And I'm curious, just cause it's not something I've covered in the podcast before. What are some of the symptoms of mi- mixed connection, mixed connective tissue disease?
1: Yeah. Why it was so hard to get the diagnosis is it's it's very rare. And and mm. what are what are the associations? Well, it turns out that pediatric Renault's phenomenon, which is you swell up, change color, have a strange response to the cold. It's a it's a cold agglutinin response, which we all have when we get frostbite. But Mm -hmm. normal people, it doesn't happen at 65 degrees, which if you have rhinos, it did. So it turns out now that, like you say, you get diagnosed and it makes sense looking back. Well, I had pediatric rhinos, which is highly correlative with this mixed connective tissue disease. And like many autoimmune diseases, they look for one specific blood marker, which they would never run that test on a healthy person, right? So it only becomes when you get that huge autoimmune panel, and they ran it was one of those ones where on me they just kind of ticked the box cuz they're ticking all the boxes you know it's not even in the normal autoimmune panel
0: yeah yeah and it is
1: really rare so it also is a problem sometimes when you have even one of the more rare connective tissue diseases you're like well i wish i just had ra because that would be so normal and i know and it, but it but every conversation with a healthcare provider is always well is there any data about Whatever they're proposing and what you have, and there's never any.
0: Mm, It's all relative. You know, like I've definitely heard that before about rheumatoid arthritis. Oh, well, you're lucky that you have rheumatoid arthritis because at least some people know what it is. It's covered a little bit in some textbooks, even though, you know, a lot of providers don't understand the systemic. Aspect of rheumatoid arthritis beyond joint, yes. you know, pain, but still, you're right that it is overall there is more awareness in just in the world of rheumatoid arthritis than like mixed connective yes. tissue diseases.
1: But yeah. at the same time, it's horribly unempathetic, You know, it's not like you would ever I'm, say, oh, "Yes, you have rheumatoid arthritis." Yeah, like at all. But I'm implying it is no. that you nobody wants these things at all. And in the choice, the interesting thing as well is having the choice between like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis the lupus is way more scary and much harder to deal with than the rheumatoid arthritis living with both. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm always going out of my way to keep the lupus at bay. The rheumatoid arthritis, for the it does express in a lot of joint damage and pain, not to say that I don't have that, but the lupus is significantly harder to deal with. So.
0: Yeah. And a lot of it just depends on yeah you know, how your body responds to the treatment options. And, exactly. and I think, yes. and one of these things that comes up a lot I've seen on social media is almost like, I call it whack-a-mole. You know, when you have multiple diagnoses, different symptoms crop up, but you also don't know, like if you're fatigued, is it from the lupus? Is it from the RA? Is it from the mixed connective tissue? Is it just that you overdid it yesterday, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. So it's it's really hard. And I am I'm glad you brought awareness to Raynaud's phenomenon because I also had that as a juvenile and I had I thought it was normal. I just referred mm-hmm. to it to someone, oh you know how like when you get cold and then like your fingers get white, like your fingers just lose yeah. all circulation, like and you have to go sit in the bath and warm them up. And they're like, what are you talking <laughs> about? Like, yeah. And you know, I have vivid memories playing soccer. I mean, you know, I just, after I would wear gloves and extra socks and I would just be in tears after my game sometimes, but it's like, cause I assumed it was normal. I didn't, I don't even know if I told my parents about it, you know? And anyway, definitely s- symptoms of, of lupus in particular, but also rheumatoid arthritis, prevalent symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis, but certainly can go along with it. So yeah, I mean that's a long time—twenty-five years. It's a long time, and when you talk about like drug therapies and
1: and basically when I saw that second rheumatologist, you know, they did a bunch of X-rays and they kind of lay every lay it all out, and it's like, yes, I have erosions in every joint they imaged because I've ne- I basically never got any care, right? So and then mm-hmm. so like when you talk about from an OT perspective, since I know the yeah, like, like I'm not really that old, but I've started to get joint infect- injections in my thumb. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I have a nose piercing people on the podcast can't see that, but Mm -hmm. for me, that's the, the mental reframing that hopefully you learn some disease management skills, but instead of looking in the mirror and seeing all my sort of bony (laughs) protuberances as being joint damage, I can look in the mirror and it's my reminder to say, no, I'm resilient. I've dealt with this for a long time. Not, you know, I'm damaged and I'm falling apart.
0: So I I love that reframe.
1: Yeah, thank you. So it's it's a it's a lot to deal with, and then so many of your your guests and listeners can speak to that medication journey. I have like a laundry list of things I've tried that haven't worked. Your symptoms change and your reactions mm-hmm. to the medications change. And, and as soon as you think one thing's figured out, it, it'll it just switch on you. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. It's, yeah, the fluctuations is, is a really, a, is something that we have to learn to accept. Because if you grow up kind of thinking of illness or health as like a, like a acute model, right? You get sick, I got mm-hmm. the flu where you get, strep throat as a child okay i'm sick i get antibiotics so i get the treatment i get better you know but Mm -hmm. when you get diagnosed with it's really hard to understand when you get diagnosed with a chronic illness what that really means you know it really means you have it forever until there's a cure even if you're able to manage it effectively with medications or lifestyle factors and that's kind of a harsh reality that you know that sometimes the best we can do is just manage and it's not necessarily going to get healed or cured necessarily. We hope we could always hold out hope for a cure, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm curious um, when you got the diagnosis, was it like a mixed emotional reaction? Cause I'm imagining part of you felt like relief to get like a more specific diagnosis, but then also obviously potentially, you know, fear about what it actually meant for y- your life.
1: Yeah. For me, actually, I think by the time I got the arthritis diagnosis, it was kind of just like, a shrug of like, oh yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> oh um, my gosh, the, the lupus, it was, it's a little scary in the sense of you get this very, you know, damaging diagnosis, and it's like, wow. And 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 at the time, I was, you know, just struggling to take care of my kids, being having two young kids, and we all have our disease low points. You know, as a patient, you can speak to that one moment where you're just like, oh my gosh, and. There was a day I took my kids to the zoo. It was a beautiful day here in Florida. We had a great day, but I was so tired driving home. I literally chewed a bloody hole in my cheek driving home. It's only 40 minutes, but I am so tired from spending probably four, only four or five hours at the zoo. I'm like Mm -hmm. catatonic and dangerous to my kids. And that's just like, this is not okay you know, and then with these migraines, I I went to the grocery store once. I'm like, fine. I'm walking through the store. I'm literally in the checkout aisle with the kids. And all of a sudden the the room just is spinning, you know, and I'm like, and I feel like I'm just going to vomit all over everything. And then that stops. And then I get, I get optical migraines. So then I start getting the stuff Mm -hmm. in my eye and I can't see out of one eye. And so I become kind of scared to drive because between the fatigue. Yeah and the scary migraines, I don't feel very safe. So, so getting that lupus diagnosis, it it was scary, but it was also kind of like, okay, well now maybe I can get some tools to deal with this. At the time, of course, I was naive and thought that there was more available. Oh, we are. Yep. You you think that as you spoke to that whole, the medical model of disease compared to the wellness continuum, which Mm -hmm. is medical professionals do their best to keep us from dying and out of the hospital and, and from not getting, as you spoke to, acutely injured. But when we're on this long-term journey, we have to start looking for a few more ways to stay on the continuum of wellness, which is little more than beyond just not dying and staying out of the hospital, please.
0: <laughs> yeah. My my life goals include a little bit more than just surviving until I die.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, you know, having to learn those skills and 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 find those medications that will, you know, kind of help get you back there. So getting that diagnosis really helped get me back on track a little bit in terms of okay, well, what are migraine triggers? What do I I need to do to manage this so that I don't mm-hmm. get in that place again? you know, obviously, with little kids, you're like doing your best to get some sleep. Um, And then getting that arthritis diagnosis, it was kind of like, oh, well, this actually almost makes more sense because I'd Mm. had so many injuries along the way that the lupus didn't explain. You know, like I
0: Mm. tore cartilage
1: in my shoulder as a teenager and I herniated, I mean, I have five herniated discs it turns out. And it was like, I only remember doing one. So it's like, how could I have managed to make it through life, herniating four discs and never even knowing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be a lot of pain. And the one that I'm aware of, it did hurt, you know, but so, so all these really connective tissue type issues, damage that I faced that made a lot more sense. Once I got that rheumatoid arthritis diagnosis, it's like, oh, okay, well, this, this is making a little more sense
0: yeah and it it the connective tissue is the kind of thing and this is going to be like the nerdiest thing but it's kind of like your lymph system it's like a big part of your body that you don't even that you take for granted right you don't think about it you think like I have, you know, I have skin, I have heart and lungs and all these really important things, but connective tissue connects the pieces of your body that move, that allow you to move. So it's kind of extremely important if you plan on moving in your life. So, you know, and that's what rheumatologists, a lot of people don't realize that they're, you know, they specialize in disorders of, you know, musculoskeletal and connective tissue yeah, it's all a a long detailed thing, but yeah. Um, I think you have a lot, you have a lot going on. So I'm really curious. Like I know now you're quite active with things I'm learning about, like aqua aerobics, aqua yoga. I'm curious, how did you get involved with like aquatic exercise?
1: Yeah. So that actually kind of goes with my, my life journey and my transitions here. So just to circle it back around, because you, you, the thing you said about the connective tissue, I just oh, yes. want to kind of transition into where we're going with this yoga. But exactly, connective tissue is part of your whole fascia system. And you have fascia everywhere. Every single one of your organs is surrounded by fascia. Every mm-hmm. single one of your muscles is surrounded by fascia. There is no part of your body that is not impacted by connected tissue. So fascia is basically the little lining that surrounds stuff right? Fascia, Mm -hmm. it's just a fancy word for, it's the outside edge. So, Mm -hmm. so if you think about, okay, well, you have a bone that as you spoke to, okay, musculoskeletal people are going to help us with our bones and they're going to help us with our muscles, but we have stuff that connects those, right? Muscles connect Mm -hmm. to both ligaments and then muscles connect to muscles with tendons, but where does that muscle end and the tendon begin? And then the next muscle start? Well, that Mm -hmm. fascia is part of the whole, whole system. Mm -hmm. So, so then when we talk about, okay, well, today we're going to talk about aqua aerobics and aqua yoga. Well, if you think about these modalities, and I know you've had other guests that talk about yoga. So any modality that can help you manage this fascia connective tissue system that is being damaged by your unfortunate autoimmune disease, that can really become a management tool. So my aqua yoga journey started with my yoga journey because, and I was a farrier. So for those who don't know what a farrier is, it's not somebody who drives the ferries. Oh, okay. Yes, It is somebody who shoes horses. So somebody still has oh. to put shoes on the old fashioned way in the sense of hammer and nails. No machine can do that. So I did that for 10 years on Whidbey Island oh, and it is not amazing. good for your back right? If you if you don't know what being a farrier is or what it looks like, Google it, you have to bend over and pick up, you know, a quarter of a horse. Oh and, dear. Right. Yeah. So for those listening, I'm a relative, I'm, I'm a lot shorter than I used to be, but I'm a relatively petite gal and I used to shoe draft horses. So it is not good for your body. And mm-hmm. i have heard somewhere that yoga was. So we had on the Island, a sort of semi-retired very highly qualified yoga teacher and I signed up for yoga with her thinking oh it'd just be good for my back it wasn't mm-hmm. like I was some yoga person or it was just like oh this is gonna be good for me but I actually ended up really liking it yeah so I did yoga with her for five years I developed a home practice where I would get up half an hour early because I felt so much better going to work after having done a little bit of yoga Again, now that I've talked about my diagnosis story, everybody's probably nodding their head like, well, of course you needed to warm up before you would go do this heavy physical activity because your body's not so happy. And I'm out in the cold in barns outside. After about 10 years, it was, I kind of physically couldn't take it anymore. Again, largely because of the cold. I love the job, Mm -hmm. but being out in the barns and the rain and the wind, it was just, it just was really getting to hurt in the winter not again, the job, but it was just like the whole management of it all. So I decided to go back to school. I did that. I went to graduate school and I moved. And so during the whole course of this time, I continued that yoga practice, yoga practice on my own. And after moving, I started classes again. I have my kids. And finally, after I had the the two kids and the second one, you know, he's back in school. It was like, well, I think I'll go to yoga Teacher training. Like I've, mm. I've now been doing yoga for 20 years. This has been this huge thing of my life, and I think I now have the time and the the space to do it. So I went into yoga teacher training with that lupus diagnosis. Here in my diagnosis journey, I came out of yoga teacher training with the mixed connective tissue disease diagnosis. So mm. that diagnosis came about in that six month span, and there's a lot more to yoga than moving your body. It's There's a philosophy that comes with yoga that does kind of require a lot of self-reflection. And mm-hmm. so in that process of thinking about, well, how had I managed to do all these heavy physical things throughout my life? And yet not known I had this quite severe disease. It's like, well, I think really frankly, the yoga was really one of the perfect self-management tools I could have found. And mm-hmm. that really inspired me to help other people with arthritis and connected tissue diseases manage their health and wellness through yoga. So I immediately went on to do yoga for arthritis teacher training.
0: Nice. The
1: yoga for arthritis program was developed by Dr. Stephanie Munaz at John Hawkins. And it mm-hmm. was a clinical trial, which resulted in some really solid research about the benefits of yoga for people who live with arthritis. At that teacher training, one of the other people who was there I was like well we do we have this ladies yoga wine pool night and it was like oh my god why has no one ever told me about this <laughs> yay <laughs> I love being in the pool and I love yoga so then it was just like oh my gosh I have to know about this so I literally like while I'm at yoga teacher training for yoga for arthritis I google aqua yoga and like immediately less than like within weeks after coming home from the one and and as much as I love yoga, it was the aqua yoga where I was just like, okay, this is me. This is what I'm doing, you know, from here on out. So that was five years ago. And that's what I've been doing ever since. So aqua yoga, it's just simply yoga in the pool.
0: Mm-hmm. And your head is out of the water. Head is
1: out. Yes, I get that yes. question. So I've never drowned anyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's just deep water. Um, We can do inversions like you might have seen on the cover mm-hmm. of yoga journal at the grocery store, you know, people standing on their head and stuff. Adults don't really like to do that. The kids love to do it in opera yeah. yoga, but I haven't been able to convince my, my uh, students that that would be fun. I, I do think it's kind of fun to play around with, and obviously I do it with my kids, but in class, we're head out yeah. all the time.
0: That's so, so cool. Actually, speaking of John Hopkins, I wanted to say, I, I wanted to get the, the medical definition of fascia, just in case anyone's like wanting to nerd Perfect. out on that. And it says, yeah, fascia is a thin casing of connective tissue that surrounds and holds every organ Blood vessel, bone, nerve fiber, and muscle in place. I always forget that fascia holds the nerve fibers as well, which is incredible. So the tissue does more than provide internal structure, it also has nerves that make it almost as sensitive as skin. Mm -hmm. And something I learned when I got in a car accident and and started getting massages, because I had not, I didn't like getting massages before, like relaxation massages, because I always felt Mm -hmm. worse after. And I guess it happens to some people with autoimmune diseases, but, Mm -hmm. um, these kind of medical massages that were really tailored to that, not like full body relaxation, but tailored to Mm -hmm. my neck were, were fine. And, um, my massage therapist taught, I learned about fascia in OT school, but she also taught me more about it and how these tightenings of the fascia can also contribute to pain, even if it's unrelated. Like I had tightening of my my fascia around my muscles because I was holding them weirdly around my neck because of my pain in my neck. And so if we start holding, let's say our hands for rheumatoid arthritis or elbows or wrists, we start holding our body differently. That also affects the fascia independent of a disorder like mixed connective tissue disease.
1: There's really good data about how massages are can be beneficial, not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Again, there's mm-hmm. so many caveats here, yeah. but there's lots of data for the exact reasons you just talked about is it really can release some of the, they often call them adhesions in the fascia, and um, a man named Tom Myers and his anatomy trains program has done amazing work on fascia. And you can just Google or you or look it up on YouTube. But there's these amazing videos about watching the fascia in your body slide around. And if you think about, okay, I have rheumatoid arthritis, and maybe that's affecting my posture, or how I'm carrying myself. And then mm-hmm. I, I amplify that through time. And now how That say shortening of one side of my body is going to impact the lengthening of the other side. And then what does that do to my balance long-term? And so anything we can do, whether it's massage, yoga, rolfing, a lot lot of these body-based strategies really help us manage our disease long-term, just as something as simple as just trying to keep us in the bodies we were meant to have.
0: (laughs) Oh beautifully said and like I think that leads right to like what are some of the benefits of doing you know exercise or yoga in the water specifically that that are different than doing those kind of activities on land
1: yes so the water there's some real distinct benefits to immersion and this is for people, who, who are everybody, you know, not people who live with arthritis, but then those of us who live with arthritis, we get some kind of twofers out of it because of what we have to live with it. So if you get in the water to that, like mid chest height, which you would do in an aqua aerobics or aqua yoga class, you've got the hydrostatic pressure of the water on you. So when you mm-hmm. remember getting in the water, you know, how it felt almost like you had a little body sock because the mm-hmm. water's pressing it, pressing in on you. So that's the hydrostatic pressure of the water, which makes your heart work more efficiently. You know, your blood's not pulling in your feet.
0: Oh,
1: right. Yeah. Because the pressure think about that. Yeah, right. The blood's not pulling in your feet and your body naturally has an immersive reflex that it brings the blood more up into your torso. So, so it's making your heart more efficient. So it lowers your blood pressure. So many people who live with these autoimmune diseases have a lot of comorbidities and rheumatoid arthritis, as you know, makes us at more at risk for heart disease, independent of factors like weight and age mm-hmm. and diet, you know, it's, it's just not good for our heart. So anything that we can do to keep our blood pressure down and that mm-hmm. those, that immersive effect actually lasts for a couple hours after you get out of the water. Wow. So that. The hydrostatic pressure is really good for your uh, blood pressure, and then when you get in the water, you're more buoyant, right? It offloads about seventy percent of your weight. That's why they train for space in water, right? Yeah. So you, if you think about it, it's like, okay, I've got all this weight on my joints, and and we'll talk about yeah, we're talking about skeletal joints here. I don't don't know if we're going to talk about hands, but if you think about, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm immersed at mid chest height, my knees are literally taking seventy percent less weight. So from an arthritis Mm -hmm. perspective, you know, the most common form of arthritis is osteoarthritis. And then the most common Mm -hmm. site is the knee, right? So Mm -hmm. it goes a little beyond just your audience with rheumatoid arthritis, who also might have trouble with their knees. But if you think about, okay, so now that that joint is bearing 70% less weight, wow, that's really going to take some pain off. And Mm -hmm. because it has Lightened my load. It literally gives me thirty percent greater range of motion in my joints, on average. Right? These, this wow. math, all well, sort of on average here.
0: It could depends on the joint. Yeah, you're not going to suddenly in your neck, joint, right? I'm going to get like. Joint. It depends on the yeah. person. It depends on how the no, joint. But- <laughs> the point is improved range of motion. Yeah. <laughs> improved range of motion. So so even if
1: you've got some damage in that joint, so you know maybe you've got some either erosions or some spurs happening, right? If you've got now a little more range of motion, that's going to take some pain off. Um kind of caveat there that 30% range of motion is dangerous for people who are hypermobile. So if you've got uh-huh. like lordanos or you know, in yoga, especially being an aqua yoga person in yoga, we really, um, what would you say, celebrate people who are a little hyperflexible. Mm-hmm. If you're already prone to that, and then you get in the pool and you know, you have more range of motion, a little caution here. So if you have a joint with a lot of damage, that's got a lot of instability, that's where you want to be careful. So yep. with more range of motion, there's the flip side there. It's good and bad, depending on where you're at. And then when we talk about pain in general, being in the water alters your pain response system. So you have a greater pain tolerance and you have your pain, all your whole pain system is basically modulated down because that hydrostatic pressure is dampening your nerve response. Wow. Um, So you're going to perceive less pain and you're going to be able to quote, take more pain. Um, it also, the water reduces exercise induced inflammation. So, you know, we exercise and part of the benefit we get out of exercising is that tiny little bit of damage we cause ourselves, right? That's how we build muscles. We actually tear them a little bit, right?
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that
1: causes inflammation. If we have an inflammation driven autoimmune disease, like rheumatoid arthritis, we don't want to have a lot of systemic inflammation or even localized, right? Especially if it's in a joint that hurts. So in a modality, that's going to reduce that inflammation and a lot of that is um the byproducts like the byproducts it Mm -hmm. i didn't talk about so the hydrostatic pressure also makes your kidneys more efficient that's why you have to go to the bathroom immediately after you get (gasps) in the pool yes it's not you blowing my mind (laughs) it's everybody right it makes your kidneys more efficient. Well, your kidneys being more efficient is going to cycle waste byproducts in your body faster. So that lactic Mm -hmm. acid, which is the byproduct of your muscles working and what makes you sore the next day after you exercise, your kidneys are clearing that faster. And so that's partly what's increasing that clearance of those toxins. And therefore, you have that less inflammation from exercise the next day. So you're less likely to be sore And all of this contributes to why people actually like aquatic exercise better. If you take somebody with arthritis Mm -hmm. and you say, okay, I'm your doctor, I'm forcing you to go to exercise and I'm going to put you in a land class. And then the other doctor says, I know you have arthritis and I'm forcing you to go to aqua class. If you make those, then people come together and say, okay, now you get to switch. Mm -hmm. They like the aquatic exercise better. So if you live with arthritis, you are more likely to like aquatic exercise because of all those things. It's like, this is just better. It feels better. It doesn't hurt. It's more fun. I can be a little social. Nobody yells at me if I talk to my neighbor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm realizing that so many of us with rheumatoid arthritis enjoy like a hot bath. You know, a lot of people talk about a hot bath. And I'm realizing now I always thought it was just simply the heat modality. I mean, I knew that the buoyancy of the water was going to help a little bit, but when you're in a bath, it's not like that much, right? But I didn't think about all the other pressure things you were talking about, how that could really relieve the Mm -hmm. the effect. And I think something that I learned in occupational therapy school how strong a force gravity really is, you know, and the thing I always tell people is if you're not sure about how strong a force gravity is, just try to hold your arm straight out in front of you for five minutes. Like you'll Mm -hmm. realize pretty quick, like all the time, you know, gravity is in layman's terms, pulling down. It's not really, Really? yeah. yeah. And so like, and And so when you live with a disease that causes pain, let's say at the joints, like arthritis, Mm -hmm. that you're just, as you move your body around the world, whether you're sitting in a car or you're sitting in at a computer or you're standing or you're walking your dog, you are fighting gravity constantly, but that you're, you're relieving that amount of gravity when you're in the water. It's like you said, the 70% less, you know, what did you say? 70%? The buoyancy you the buoy- basically yes.
1: offload, right? So at your your belly button, it's half your weight at mid chest it's 70, and then at your neck, it's 90. So that's why when you get up to your neck in the water, you're like, I can barely walk (laughs) because literally you're not stuck to the ground. And that offloading of gravity, another interesting aspect of that when you exercise in the water is like you spoke to, okay, if you're gonna hold your arm out and and most of us know like a bicep curl, right? You curl Mm -hmm, your hand into mm -hmm. your shoulder and we call it a bicep curl because that's the muscle we're working, right? We're working that muscle against gravity. So we're mm-hmm. going to build a bicep, except mm-hmm. when we get in the water, okay, now gravity isn't a big deal, but now I've got the viscosity of the water. So I'm actually going to get more balanced muscular effort and work my triceps more in the water than I'm going to on mm-hmm. land. So if we talk about arthritis and a joint that is suffering, it's known now not, not as much of a constant exercising one side of that joint and the muscles that are on only one side of that joint. So I'm gonna get more balanced muscular effort and support that joint better because one of the few things we can do when we have arthritis is build, strengthen our muscles because strong muscles support weak joints. So the more we can build muscle on both side of a joint, The more we're going to help our arthritis, excuse me, and the more efficient we're going to be in our exercise. So that's another thing that we get out of the water is that beyond the offloading is this idea of the water's viscosity helps us get that more balanced effort.
0: I, it's, it's incredible. You're blowing my mind here. And, and I think I, a lot of people with, um, let's just say osteoarthritis, even though that's not my primary audience, but they might have, you know, toddled over here and said arthritis life. I want to hear this, but is, you know, it's very common for people to get kind of frustrated by the recommendation that they lose weight you know because it can be hard to be told you're in a lot of pain now just go Mm -hmm. exercise and lose some weight like uh that's kind of hard when you're in pain but you do have to recognize that the reasoning behind that is just the physics of how much load your joint takes when you have a bigger body mass but again Mm -hmm. you're you're you know all these points about the benefits of aqua exercise are that you know it'll help t- take some of that weight off your joints as you're doing it. So it's like it enables you to do the exercise that is so much harder because of your greater body mass. You know, it's just like, absolutely. Yeah, I think it should really be more recommended more often. But I think it can just be maybe the access issue, you know, access to a pool, and maybe is, is difficult in different, certain parts of the country and or parts of the to the world, I guess, <laughs> depending on where it's- you live.
1: Yeah. In the States here, we're really blessed. I know access is a, is a problem. And, but in the same token, we have 10 million backyard pools, but that, <laughs> that's more than anywhere in the world, right? We have oh, no. so many more pools and there's, I think it's something like 30,000 municipal pools, right? So access is a can be a huge problem, but we also have some really great organizations that really try very hard to make it accessible, namely the YMCA and also JCCs, the Jewish Community Centers. Yes. They usually have scholarship programs, most of them participate in the Silver Sneakers program, which is for seniors, part mm-hmm. of the government over 65 and with your Medicare. A lot of them will offer free swim lessons as well. I know we're talking, you know, mainly about um, arthritis for adults, but we have to keep in mind, you know, in the water, there is a safety concern and that's oh, something yes. some people, you know, a lot of their resistance to getting in the water is not this, these ideas. They love the ideas, but they're scared of being in the water because of, Um, lack of access to swim lessons Mm -hmm. when they were a kid. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot, especially, you know, here in Florida, we have a lot of past discrimination regarding access to swimming pools that have really impacted coming forward here in the years of who feels comfortable being in the water. So it's important to say, you know, those organizations offer free swimming lessons so that we can grow up to be comfortable in the water. And, and what you were speaking to with, you know, medical professionals saying, well, you know, you need to, potentially lose some weight to take a load off these joints, we, we get in that pain cycle, which mm-hmm. I know you've talked about with your guests in terms of you, you're in pain. So you don't exercise. And since you don't exercise, you're in more pain. And then it just goes on and on and on. So anywhere mm-hmm. we can break that cycle, whatever it is for you, even if it's something as simple as well, I don't have access to the pool right now because it's January, but in March I will. So I'm gonna do some meditations for the next six weeks
0: mm-hmm. to get
1: me ready for being in the pool, right? Anything mm-hmm. you can do to break that pain cycle there somewhere will will really help. So yeah, keep in mind, you know, whatever you can do to get transportation to the pool, if it's maybe work a trade, somebody you know who has a you know a backyard pool, oh yeah, often falls down into that. If there's a will, there's a way category. You know, if you put as much effort into getting in the pool as you put into securing your medication, you'd probably make it happen. Like if the one takeaway you get out of today, it's like, I really have to get in the pool.
0: (laughs) Hi everyone, I'm interrupting really quickly to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by the Rheumatoid Arthritis Roadmap. It's a comprehensive online education and support program that I created from scratch to help people learn how to live a full life despite rheumatoid arthritis. In the course, you get to learn how to manage everything from physical symptoms like pain and fatigue to social and emotional aspects of living with rheumatoid arthritis. I even cover the logistics of things like how to track symptoms and how to advocate for yourself in medical appointments. To learn more, go to myarthritislife.net. What are the kind of thoughts around safety in terms of germs and such?
1: The CDC actually has some information about COVID and POOLS. The chlorine in the water kills all the COVID germs. So you cannot get COVID from from being in the pool. Where Mm -hmm. you really need to be safe is the locker room. (laughs) So it's like any other aspect of COVID, is you just need to be safe around other people. So most pools, for example, are no longer providing gear just in case Mm -hmm. there's that transfer of germs by touching. But you would want to wear your face mask. In the locker room area, a lot of pools have gone to an appointment only basis right now to accommodate mm-hmm. COVID. So you would, of course, if you're like motivated, oh, I'm going to go to the pool now, please call them first so that mm-hmm. you're not disappointed about a COVID restriction that we didn't talk about. So you might need an appointment if you're working with an aquatic therapist or, you know, that's coming up. They will probably wear like a face shield in the water with you because it's not safe to wear masks in the pool because oh, okay. even... They do sell waterproof masks and they're out of swimsuit material and those are less restrictive, but uh, we didn't talk about the breathing aspect of hydrostatic pressure, right? It makes your respiratory muscles work harder, especially on the inhale. So Mm -hmm. if one of your comorbidities is something like COPD or asthma, and you're now suddenly having to put on a mask and work two times the harder Mm -hmm. of just being in the water, plus with the mask, that would be a really unsafe uh, place to be. And so you can choose to wear a mask in the pool if you're gonna do like head out a uh, water exercise, obviously not the case for swimming. A lot of pools have gone to only one person in a lane at a time for lap Mm -hmm. swimming, for example, Mm -hmm. and then aqua aerobics classes, best practices to maintain that six foot distance. So a lot of times the class limits are smaller than they used to be. So Mm -hmm. just, yeah, make sure you call and and I will get you that CDC link for anybody who has any questions about that.
0: That's, that's super, super helpful. And I'm going to say one thing from my own past experience, I was definitely a land athlete growing up and I, I didn't, not like um, the smell or the feeling of chlorine, especially in my eyes. Mm-hmm. I was always really sensitive to that. So what is enticing me about this is the idea that my head would could be out of the water the whole time. I could still have my glasses on. I don't have to deal with contacts. I could just c- keep my head out of the water and then all I have to do is rinse off my body. That's it seems right. like a better deal than, um, than like a swim, full swim workout when your head's under the water. So yeah. <laughs> I try to anticipate people's objections, right? You try to like anticipate the things they're going to say, Oh, I can't do it. There's no pools. Cause I'm visualizing what you're talking about. Cause I've, I've received aqua physical therapy before. Can you kind of walk me through group aqua classes? What, what, what is it kind of like? Yeah. Yeah, the Arthritis Foundation, because there's such good data and
1: awareness about this idea of aquatics for arthritis, the Arthritis Foundation created this program. It's the Arthritis Foundation Aquatics Program the arthritis foundation has actually now handed it off to the Mm. aquatics exercise association it still bears the arthritis foundation's name so if you're looking for it at a center it might say the abbreviation is afap or it might might say arthritis foundation aquatic exercise something like that the the, it came out of the program through the arthritis foundation and they used to train people now it's gone Mm. to the aquatic exercise
0: Thank you for that clarification, because I actually was confused about that prior to talking to you.
1: And it can be hard. It is now it's getting harder and harder to find on the Arthritis Foundation website. Mm -hmm. However, if you look through their exercise finder, they have that really great. If the Arthritis Foundation has a ton of resources on their website. One of them is the uh, in the resource finder. It's to find exercise. Mm-hmm. In that exercise finder, they do list the classes very well. However, oh, if you want to find the background information about the program, that's really tough. So the good okay. news is you can go to the website and plug okay. it in to try and find it near you. You'll be able to find it. You just won't be able to find well what is this about and why. I see, <laughs> so we'll, I see. We'll talk about that a little bit today. Your state health department might actually have a really nice PDF on it because a lot of health departments still really recommend the program. Mm -hmm. So when you go to the program, I should also kind of preface it by saying, as we've kind of hinted at, as we were talking, osteoarthritis is the most common kind of arthritis. And Mm -hmm. the incidence of that goes up significantly as we get older, right? Yes. So this arthritis foundation program is really designed for older adults. Mm -hmm. It, it will accommodate, of course, everyone who has arthritis but it also is quite friendly to people who don't have arthritis, but maybe have some physical limitations, such as mm-hmm. MS. Or I've had people come to class that were blind or hearing mm-hmm. impaired or after a stroke. So it is, it is a gentle aquatics class. That mm-hmm. being said, if you have RA, that might be a great place for you to start. Or perhaps you might like a little more aggressive aquatics class. And then you just work with the instructor to say, hey, I have this going on. This is what's, you know, can you give me a flag or something? If there's anything in particular we're going to do that, I should sit out. So there's there's right. that element also of the Arthritis Foundation program to know about. So knowing that is it's a very gentle warm up that try and takes people through the range of motion, basically starting head working down. So you would move your neck through its range of motion, move your shoulders, get your hands going. Um, there's always an element of just literally walking through the water. Mm-hmm. Walking through the water is really very healthy. If everybody's listening to this and they're like, well, this is all lovely, but we don't have a single aquatics class where I live, it's just a pool and there's only lap swimmers. Fine, get in and walk. <laughs> mm-hmm especially walking backwards. There's lots of data about the benefits of walking backwards because it really builds your back muscles. If you have back pain, it builds your extensor muscles. It builds your balance. I don't mean get in the w- water and bob around. I mean like walk backwards as if you're on land, hugely beneficial. Mm-hmm. So of course they Im- incorporate that into the arthritis foundation program, walking forwards and backwards. And then within that warm up, then it moves into more range of motion. So you might do for example, like a leg lift that's going to ask your hip to come into a little larger range of motion, work with mm-hmm. the water. And then there's that balance component. Now you're kind of standing on one leg. Every class is going to have an aerobics component. Because it is a, a class designed for older adults, that aerobics work is stays pretty attached to the pool floor. We have what we would call levels in aerobic exercise. And the mm-hmm. levels correspond with basically jumping up off the pool floor and doing suspended moves, which the water lets you do, but they're much more demanding of your joints, your balance, your physical Mm -hmm. abilities. You don't do any of that suspended higher level work in the arthritis foundation class. So it's very basic aqua aerobics exercises, such as you jogging in place or jumping jacks, which you might know, which do get Mm -hmm. your heart rate up and provide some aerobic exercise, but doesn't have quite the demands of the um the higher level classes and then they encourage a, a mindfulness component mm-hmm. so it's I mentioned there's some chatting but you know there's that idea of okay well can you kind of focus on on what's going on now and and notice how this feels within your own body. There's some breath work exercises. Some classes will incorporate um some components of singing. Oh nice. Which is really good for memory as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So So there's, there can be that element. And then there's always um, a cool down and some programs do a little more of about education as well. Like you might be working with an instructor who's really focused on, you know, helping people lose weight. And so there might be a little educational component about, okay, we're going to do a little extra in this one particular area because Mm -hmm. it's, you know, healthy heart week or so there's ideally there's some health education in the classes as well.
0: Okay. Wow. That sounds really great. Do you also sometimes do like private lessons sometimes as well? It depends on the instructor and oh, okay. then the
1: facility. Yeah. So, so you can, there's, and you have mentioned it, you said as an OT, you have, you have done aquatic therapy. So there are people who are aquatic PTs. Mm -hmm. There's an organization called the Aquatic Therapy and Research Institute. They do not certify PTs in aquatic therapy, but they provide continuing education
0: Mm. for
1: aerobics or aquatics professionals and PTs, doctors, anybody who wants to learn about aquatic therapy, they provide a continuing education for that. So if you're perhaps a PT or worked with them, you might work more therapeutically with people Mm one-on-one. You can go to group classes You can have a private group class. So you could hire an Mm. aqua aerobics instructor to come to your house and do a class just for you. It's not therapy. It's just your own aquatics class. There's, there's that. And then some pools have people on staff to do private sessions with people as well.
0: That's really nice. So I do think that sometimes people can feel a little intimidated. So maybe like kind of get them excited and comfortable. And then the next time they come into the group class. And mm-hmm. so um, it's nice to maybe sometimes to feel like, okay, I kind of, cause you know the water people can feel a little bit in their bathing suit. They can feel a little bit like you know, self-conscious. But I think if you're in a group, sometimes that can help because it's kind of like, you see, oh yeah, like we're not like a bunch of supermodels. We're just normal people, you know, trying. Yeah. And I think something that I've really noticed as, as a patient and as a provider is that the group process can be so powerful, like just simply getting people together even if you don't have the world's most perfect program, right? I mean, I'm sure this right. foundation, the program is wonderful. I know it is. And you said it's based on evidence, but even if not, like I've thought sometimes myself, like just the power of getting people together who have a similar challenge, you know, or who maybe all have a chronic disease or who are just dealing with the normal um, pains of aging, you know, it, it, it's just, I, have you seen that in your classes? Like that people, you know, the oh, connections- Absolutely yeah yeah and there's that's definitely a, a component and so I mentioned
1: like every class would have an element of walking to it well then it just yes devolves into socializing which isn't yeah. bad from the perspective of what you just said that's why you're going to a group class you could walk in the pool by yourself but yeah but to have that social interaction and aquatics classes are often more social than mm-hmm. other Exercise forms, and mm-hmm. they've done good research on that in like community dwelling older adults. You know, they have aquatics plus, but they can go and do a puzzle, or you know, if you're in assisted living, there's lots of social things for you,
0: mm-hmm. but they
1: still find more benefits out of the social aspect of the aquatics because you're socializing and exercising. So, you know, you're getting the both, plus, yes. you know, the power of being in the water. And some other examples that you just spoke about is group classes are really great for men. Like there's this perception that aquatics is just for like little old ladies. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, there's actually quite a lot of men who come. So if any man is listening to this, like, I don't know. It's like, no, there are really quite a lot of men mm-hmm. who go. There are men who teach aqua aerobics. That's great. So, so don't feel self-conscious, right? There's that element. And then whether you're a man or a woman, um, I'm not remembering his last name. It's Dr. Vivek. He's the former Surgeon General of the United States. He just came oh, out with okay it's basically loneliness is killing us right it's it's worse than heart disease it's worse than arthritis it's it's really bad so if you especially now in times of covid you know we're all really struggling and if you feel like aquatic exercise is a safe way for you to get some community even if you're six feet apart from someone because it's outdoors especially if you have access to an outdoor pool here as we come into spring or you know if you're like me in florida we in theory have 365 days a year then, mm-hmm. then take advantage of it as part of your COVID community plan.
0: I love, I love that. Yes. So many people are feeling socially isolated right now. So being able to, you know, socialize in an, in an in-person safe way sounds like the best of all worlds. And I think as an occupational therapist, actually a lot of my previous experience was with um, in pediatrics if, with children with like developmental differences. And, and there's definitely a, um, sensory element to being in the water. So not just from the physics of it, but from, you know, a standpoint of like, you know, with sensory integration, sensory processing, and there's a lot of children, for example, who are hypersensitive to certain kinds of input, hyper hyposensitive to others. And so many children I work with, for example, on the autism spectrum, loved the water. Now, some of them hated it, but there were so many children and their parents would say, if I could, I remember one of the children's parents said, if I could just have a bath at the school for my child when they're having a meltdown and they get in that in the water, they just mm-hmm. calm immediately and they feel so much more centered. And so, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know any, uh, ex- hardcore evidence on this, but it is fascinating to me to think about like how, you know, when we are, you know, infants or when we are, neonates you know in the womb we're in water you know we're in our mom's you know uterus and it's interesting to think about there's maybe some primal association we have maybe with water yes some... yeah yeah
1: it's we don't it lose when we're about six weeks old we lose that ability to close our throats and you know not with little tiny babies you know you dive them in. If maybe people have seen the Nirvana cover and they're like, oh my God, the baby's
0: Water. Oh, you know? Yeah, that's
1: right. If under six weeks old that, you know, your throat still shuts down because like you say, your first environment is water. So we come out of that. So, wow. and and there is that element of spiritual aspect of water and what that has meant through centuries. And, and you've spoke to um, the sensory processing nature of water. And there is some research out there for autism Oh, good. And, okay. uh, what it does for kids of different abilities. Yes. And the same impacts that the water gives those kids helps adults with Parkinson's, right? So it's,
0: mm-hmm. there's a lot of,
1: like you say, physics to the water. There's a lot of, because of what it's doing basically to your nervous system, there's a lot of emotional stuff. It really mm-hmm. does improve mm-hmm. your mood, right? If you look at quantitative data rather than, excuse me, qualitative, qualitative data, yeah. yeah but, quantity is numbers (laughs) for those who are Mm -hmm. like, why did I bumble that? That's how, oh yeah, no, they start
0: with the same sound. Yeah. (laughs) Right.
1: Quality is about how we feel about something. You know, it's our opinions, measure our opinions, lots of that on what it does for our mood. And so we get into that kind of emotional aspect of what the water does for us. And if you think about, well, why do you always want to go to the ocean and look at the, look at the waves, you know, why is beachfront property always more valuable in every country than living in the valley? right? We yeah. all want to be
0: around the water. It is very innate. It's so, and I'm sure that there are obviously exceptions to people who've had a trauma or who have had, like we mentioned earlier, you know, adverse experiences around the water, um, or just are fearful of it. I know there's many children who grew up in the eighties, like me and watched jaws. And then we're like, I'm never going to water. But yeah, like in general, like you're saying across cultures, there is this you know overall global kind of association you know with water so yeah I mean that is oh my gosh we could talk about this all day but is there anything else you wanted to say about you know the response to aquatic yoga and aquatic exercise from your clients or from your own own life I would just encourage people
1: to really try it if they're you know you're listening to this and you're like "Ah, I don't you know I don't know about my suit I don't know you know call call a buddy Get an accountability buddy because that helps in all aspects of exercise, disease management, right? Call whoever your accountability buddy is and say, hey, I just heard this really great thing about getting in the water and I want you to hold me accountable because we can't, maybe can't do it this week or because of COVID or whatever, but bring it up again in six weeks or something. So whatever you can do to get an accountability buddy or put it on your calendar or do something so that even if you can't do it now, you can do it in the spring. So that is my my final thought is just just do it sometime please try to do it sometime and if it's not now that's okay
0: That's great. Yeah. Maybe I'll make it by the end of 2021. Oh, something just floated into my mind. I do want to mention, I did pursue swimming as an exercise when I was, I was working for a university that had a pool on campus, which was so great. And as an Mm -hmm. employee, I got the benefit of being able to join, you know, the fitness center at the university of Washington. And um, one of the things I found, and this totally, maybe that I was doing it wrong, but when I was trying to do the crawl stroke, having rheumatoid arthritis, the resistance of the water actually felt a little hard on, on my joints. Is that a typical for people with rheumatoid arthritis for the, this is not for water aerobics or water yoga, but for the, the actual swimming. Right. Well, that speaks to basically it's your fitness level. So as we, <laughs> sorry, I am laughing myself, about,
1: right? It's yeah. more dense, right? You're not, you're moving. Try to think about if you swam in maple syrup. Right, Water isn't maple syrup, but yeah. it kind of gives you that like, oh my gosh, yeah, that would be really hard. right? Yeah, yeah. And so for you to say, oh, it was kind of hard, that front crawl, it's really kind of hard for my joints. That's telling you your muscles aren't developed mm. enough to take the amount of effort you were putting them through, right? That water's, right. I think it's 800 times more dense than air, right? So your muscles are literally not used to making this action. And then as we were talking about that pull on both directions, right? You, you whipped it out through the air because you're used to that. And then it's like, oh my gosh, it's moving through the water. And this is so hard. Right. So for all people living with rheumatoid arthritis who have stuff going on in their joints, you always, this is a great point to end on as well. You always clear any kind of exercise with your healthcare provider so that they know what you're doing and that they can tell you it's appropriate for them Anytime you're working with an instructor or getting some help from a professional, you would want to tell them. So they're aware of what's going on and can guide you in appropriate ways. And then number one, independent of all those other professionals is you're most responsible for yourself because you go home yes. with you. Those professionals yes. don't go home with you and your body. Mm-hmm. Your body is, is about you and you're doing all this to benefit you. So one thing we all struggle with with rheumatoid arthritis is walking that fine line between challenging yourself appropriately and challenging yourself too much, right? Yep. So mm-hmm. you have to listen to your body and get really good. And that's why partly why I love yoga is it helps you develop that discernment. So mm-hmm. you can walk that line a little better of this is too much. This is appropriate. This is me dialing it in.
0: Yeah. Oh, so such a good point. And yeah, I will say for the record, this me trying to swim as exercise was before I became an occupational therapist. So yeah, I think I probably wasn't as attuned to the idea of really listening to your body and the idea of yeah giving yourself in OT. We call it the just right challenge. You know, that challenge is just outside your ability zone. If you're trying to improve on something, you know, you want to get a little bit towards the edge of it, but not push so far that you then I was probably just Pushing way too hard, you know, and think, okay, yes. my joints weren't, my muscles weren't ready for that yet, so could have yeah, dialed Yeah, makes it that. total sense. Yeah, yeah,
1: and and if any time we're have a weak, any kind of weakness in our body, if it's an injury or a chronic disease, and if we do something with it is not in great form, it's going to amplify it. So something mm-hmm. else about living with a chronic disease: if you're trying a new skill set. Getting help, the advantage to that is it shortens your learning curve and you're less likely to hurt yourselves because somebody's kind of spotting you. You know, we yes. if you're doing something with poor form and and it's aggravating a sore joint, that's gonna make it even worse compared to somebody saying, Hey, if you just kind of move it in a little bit, your form's gonna be better, mm-hmm. you're gonna be more efficient. So that's the other thing speaking to. It's not just fitness form yeah. can really help. And so if you, if you're really committed to something and it's really not working for you and you're doing it on your own, try and get some professional help. Cause that, that can sometimes really make the difference. And, you know, this is what you do as a living for an OT, right? That's people mm-hmm. are doing stuff with their joints. They shouldn't be and wearing yeah. them out and you helping them get good form. So that's
0: exactly oh. what you do. Oh, thank you. It is different to do it on yourself though. <laughs> I always it's like they say that if you're a therapist, you still need to have a therapist. You know what I mean? Yes. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. We need an outside perspective sometime. I definitely benefit from that. But yeah, this is so, so helpful. I'm super jazzed. I'm like just gonna go call up my the swim school that I had my son. The swimming pool that we had him enrolled in before COVID, we just kind of stopped everything with COVID. Yeah. We're like, nothing, everything's canceled. Um, yeah. But to, to know these, this data about the safety makes me feel a little bit more comfortable. So I'm really excited, but I'm guessing people are going to want to follow you on social media or maybe find your website. Um, I'm going to put that all in the show notes, but do you want to share for those of you people who might just want to hear it right now? Sure. Yeah. Just the easiest way to do it is just Google my name. So my website is christopherbrother.com.
1: That's where I am on Facebook, Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's a little harder. It's aqua content yogi, but mm-hmm. uh, just Google my name and aqua yoga. And I'm all over the internet. So that is really, really my thing. I got lots of pictures out there and I would be happy to answer any questions. And I hope this was inspiring to get people in the water. As my son says, it is the best thing ever.
0: I'm really grateful for you for taking the time to share with us. Cause yeah, I, I certainly learned a ton. um, And I, I apologize to any of my former professors if they're listening and they're like, we told you this in OT school, but you know, if you don't use it, you lose it sometimes, you know, like I didn't remember any of these statistics about what the, what the water does other than like, it just, you know, the buoyancy is good for exercise. Like I knew that takes the weight off, yeah. but you know, some of these really specific elements of, you know, how to fix your breathing and. I'm like your heart rate and stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I want to tell everyone now I've drunk the Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah, good. Excellent. That's that's what
1: I want to hear. That's my mission in life is okay. to get everybody to think this is the best thing ever, right? Oh my so gosh. I, mission wish, accomplished. I wish it were more available in communities worldwide. Yeah, because it's yeah. just so so beneficial.
0: Oh, and there are, by the way, if you are also kind of have have some sensory aversions to chlorine, at least in Seattle. Now, I don't know about the COVID aspect. There are a couple pools that are saltwater. So right. I don't know how normal that is, but. So um, salt water.
1: it's, it's a new system that for the pools and they're not actually chlorine free. It's
0: oh, just right. how
1: the chlorine is, is kind of filtered and derived. Oh. So there's significantly less chlorine. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what it's about. But yeah, you we kind of can't get out of the chlorine because you don't want to swim in a green COVID. pool. Bad no, not because of COVID. It's like a oh. green pool is oh. all filled with all kinds of germs that we don't want even before COVID, right? Oh, um, okay. so water you. quality is very important. If you think about like why, so for example, why the pools all have the sign up that says please shower before you get in the pool. Mm-hmm that's actually because the chlorine interacts with all the stuff on you, the sweat, your shampoo, your body products. It does its little chemistry thing, turns into chloramines which are actually what you smell and that's the bad stuff. So please always shower before you get in the pool. Nobody wants to swim in your bathtub, right? Don't don't take your shampoo or anything to the public pool and, and make it a personal care routine. Try and be as clean as possible always use the bathroom right just like they don't want little kids having accidents in the pools right we don't want it as adults either so that is a big contraindication for swimming and that actually becomes one of the main reasons people have to give up their aquatics practice Mm. is because of incontinence in some capacity so and then as a OT, you know, working in a slightly more medical environment. If you've got any kind of wound care issues, you've got to address those. Mm -hmm. So you can't have open wounds. They're in a therapeutic environment. There are ways you can get those covered, but you would need to educate yourself on the products and have a team help you learn to take care of that before you get in the water. So a few more little water safety things.
0: Well, I'm really glad you told me that about the rinsing off. Um, I didn't realize that that was why. I mean, I thought it was maybe for like makeup and, and stuff, but I didn't realize uh, even just your own sweat, um, even just your own sweat. And it's, it's, they often only have cold water and it's miserable. You're like, the
1: pool isn't going to be this cold. Why do we have to take this pretty yeah, cold shower? Yeah, and it
0: yeah. really
1: helps. It helps everybody and, um, lifeguards actually, cause they're exposed to so much more chlorine, have a higher incidence of some kind of cancers from being around the chlorine all the time. And so it really, it helps us all. So take, take that shower. It's, it makes a difference.
0: Okay. Well, geez, so many nuggets. Thank you so much again. This is so, so great. And I would love to hear from the audience if anyone ends up doing an aerobic, you know, class, water aerobics or water yoga, please let me know at info at myarthritislife.net. And I'll tell Krista too, so we can see if we've started a movement here. Excellent. I love it. Yay. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Rheumatoid Arthritis Roadmap, an online course that I created from scratch to help people live a full life with rheumatoid arthritis, from social and emotional aspects of coping with rheumatoid arthritis to simple physical strategies you can use every day to manage things like pain and fatigue. You can find out more on my website, myarthritislife.net, where I also have lots of free educational resources, videos, and more. just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.